Welcome to Passion and Purpose, a podcast with Jimmy Cyber and the Antioch Movement. Whether this is your first time with us or you've been with us for a while now, our desire is that by the end of our time together, you can say that you've fallen more in love with Jesus and have a greater passion for Him and His purposes in the earth. Thanks so much for joining us. And we hope that you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to Passion and Purpose this week, and I'm so looking forward to uh, a dialogue that we had two and a half weeks ago with some of my favorite people in the world who have uh, put uh, their heart and soul into racial reconciliation and restoration and uh, education for all of us, and I'm so looking forward to that opportunity. But before we go there, I just want to say, because uh, this is coming out today, that uh, our hearts are absolutely grieved and undone by the most recent uh, event uh, dealing with George Floyd. Many of you guys have been familiar with that in the news where he cried out, I can't breathe, and there was no let up uh, on him, uh, which would eventually lead to his death. Racism kills. We have a zero tolerance policy, zero tolerance uh, for this in the Antioch movement, among our people, among our family and friends. And we are trying to learn and grow so that we can be a part of the solution moving forward so that these senseless acts happen no more. So we are praying and we are moving forward in action. Today's conversation that you're gonna listen to again was done two and a half weeks ago. So we aren't specifically addressing today's events, but it will give you some clarity around where we're going forward as a movement related to race and the glory of God. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome again to Passion and Purpose. And this is our opportunity to talk about issues of the day, talk about things God's speaking, God's doing in our midst, and, and, and literally around the world. And uh, today is a very, very special podcast uh, for me uh, because it's the culmination of of a lot of years of life lived work and our desire to see the unity of the body, racial reconciliation, to see restoration, uh, to not just be a uh, multi-ethnic people, but a multicultural people, uh, all those desires that are in the Word of God and the heart of God, and we just need each other to get there. And um, man, I just count it such a privilege to have uh, uh, a few of those marvelous comrades today uh, here on the podcast. Clarence Hill, who is uh, our senior pastor in Antioch, Norman. Uh, he also serves as a leader of many initiatives uh, in the area of racial reconciliation, unity in the body, and he'll share from his experience. Uh, Chris Rattay, uh, who leads uh, one of our congregations in Los Angeles, but has really championed uh, specifically uh, among Latinos, Hispanics. That's been his life, his worldview, his people. And uh, he's got some incredible revelation of years of walking that out. Uh, Jamie Miller, who is our resident theologian <laughs> and friend, who actually just finished his doctorate, glory to God. And uh, his whole heart is for the church, the people of God. And then uh, for me, kind of uh, my main friend, partner, and um, find myself getting a little emotional. Just <laughs> Vince Carpenter's been just a, a, a steady 
devoted pastor, friend, and leader in our community as we've attempted to say, oh, God, get us right on this issue. Uh, so um, what, what the, the, one of the purposes out of this, I want to say it on the front end, is that uh, the Antioch movement has uh, come up with a position paper uh, called Race and the Glory of God, and these men have been the main contributors. They have uh, had years of experience of listening to men, women, every race and uh, angle of this. Uh, but I want them just to start off, introduce themselves, kind of the part of the paper that they wrote. Uh, you know, what, what is your heart a little bit? And then once they introduce themselves, talk about kind of your part in this uh, process, then we'll kind of get their passion and maybe some application for what we can do to move forward. Vince, why start us off, Bud? For sure. I, um, Jimmy, grew up uh, outside of Houston, a little town called Lamarck, Texas, and uh, grew up uh, in kind of a homogeneous, all-black neighborhood, all-black church. I was maybe one of two uh, minority kids in the school I went to, and so I uh, grew up in one world, uh, basically grew up seeing the races and colors are pretty distinct during that time period. And through athletics, got a scholarship to come to Baylor and came into a world that was predominantly white, had not been in that culture before, and uh, but found uh, other brothers in Christ that uh, introduced me to discipleship. I grew in my faith and grew in a great appreciation uh, for white brothers and uh, sisters. And through that process, realized that, man, the, the culture, the ethnicities need each other. I learned so much in that African-American church and culture that I grew up in, but I also found myself learning and growing significantly in this white culture that I got educated in. And so through that process, God birthed a vision in my heart to bring the ethnicities, the cultures, the races together. and seemed like the body would be so much stronger that way. And so that uh, was a lengthy journey that led me, ended up coming here to Antioch. And so through that process, we've been trying to see uh, the people of Waco, uh, which predominantly African-American, uh, Hispanic, and white, but there's also uh, other Asian cultures, uh, Japanese, Chinese, Native Americans, trying to see all these people build the kingdom together. And obviously that's been a journey. Uh, we've got a long way to go, but we've made some, some steps and continue trying to make some steps. So uh, for the paper, you know, I wrote, I participated in a couple of sections, uh, the, the impact of sin, Mm. God has a design for us, but obviously mm. we've fallen short of that. So I'll talk about what that looks like, uh, how uh, our fall has impacted uh, race relations. Uh, and then later on in the paper, I talk about the unity in the church. And so what Jesus has done and what he's allowed us to walk into. And then in the, there's a contemporary uh, uh, perspective section at the end. I also put some practical, what do we do now steps in there. So those are the kind of parts that I they would have put uh, to this position uh, reflection paper too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, Jamie, why don't you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your contribution here, and then we'll loop back and we'll get the other guys in. Yeah, so um, uh, I think a big part of my journey and, and contribution into the paper has to do with just a vision for the church and trying to be the church, not understanding what all that meant, even exploring some of my own roots coming out of uh, the restoration movement when I was a kid, which was a, a unity movement. And, um, and ultimately, after we planted the church and we're planting churches, uh, being led to move the church to Fort Worth, and a big part of that was about diversity 
and uh, we were all the same up by the airport, moved down here to Fort Worth, and that, that, that heart was uh, a big part of it. And I think my contribution to the paper has been um, just a burden to see, um, you know, just, just realizing a growing understanding of how much unity is absolutely at the center heart of the New Testament. It's not a peripheral thing. The, it is a, it's a central thing. And I mean like from Jesus' prayer to Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, you just keep going and it's, it's not peripheral, it's core. And so my burden, even in just, I, I'd say some things about Galatians, but I, I think we've missed some pieces uh, just about tying the centrality, even of the gospel, to there being one table, one people of God. And even the doctoral stuff, you mentioned that, but I mean, that's only expanded my heart and burden for expressing the image of God in oneness and not trying to get everybody to merge together, but expressing the beautiful distinction, uh, diversity, distinction in the midst of oneness and Clarence and Vincent and Chris all do their own pieces of, of expressing that. And it's just core Jimmy right now. I think it's a, it's a, it's the right time for this word. Yeah. And Chris, you're up next, but I just want to say, you know, John 17, 21, um, that they would be one so that the world may know. And uh, many uh, of my friends in the body of Christ and world evangelization are saying, we've underestimated the answer to that prayer is the answer to world evangelization. It's not just a world reconciliation. It's also evangelization because the world will know once we answer John 17. And if we're not answering it, we're literally minimizing even uh, the desire of, of, of Jesus to be made manifest to the whole world. So anyway, just couldn't miss that little window to pop into John 17. All right, Chris, talk to us, man. Yeah, so I, I've been, it's been about 20 years of uh, ministering cross-culturally that's just kind of uh, absolutely fundamentally changed my life. I started out in, um, at USC uh, and uh, was uh, ministering there and called uh, by the African-American community to build a ministry for them, which was just an eye-opening experience. Had a Reverend Alex G. Uh, discipled me and just opened up my eyes, and I I realized uh, I just saw things that I hadn't seen before. My, my eyes were open in terms of what's really going on in, uh, in society between different races. And it just, it gave me this hunger to want to have biblical handles, right? Uh, and just, I feel this deep conviction. I, why I'm so excited about this paper is that, you know, when we leave uh, uh, the, 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 the sheep, the people to just have uh, political parties or higher education give them handles to interpret reality. It's just a disaster. And I just, so just this journey of being in the scripture and letting that be uh, handles for me. And that, that led me from uh, my wife and I, we moved into South Central just to fully immerse ourselves and just try to walk with the church there as minorities in that community, in that African-American community. And then John Lowe, Asian-American brother, end up moving with him to, to minister in the Asian-American church. And then these last many years uh, here in East LA with Latino community. And a lot of people have asked me like after all this, like, do you even know who you are anymore? You know? And I, I say, Oh yes, I am very white. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're 
you know, uh, displaced, you really see the differences. And uh, it's helped me realize that kind of this journey that people talk about of finding identity, it really is limited when you're just with your own people. How does a fish know how to define the water unless they're out of the water, right? And I think uh, my, my, my part in the paper, my passion is we're an apostolic movement. And uh, in Acts, you, you got two churches, the Jerusalem church and the Antioch church. The Antioch church was made up of Africans, Jews, and Gentiles, and they right away obeyed the command to go out because when you work this out in your backyard, you know then how to work it out when you go to the nations. Uh, and, uh, and so that's my real passion. Uh, I think, so I, I contributed a little bit, you know, in different areas. I think particularly for me, I just really want to help uh, my white brothers and sisters really know how to practically engage in the issue and grow. I think, especially in our churches, we all agree on the, on the ideal and the call to unity, but then it's the day-to-day, how do we get there? Sure. And I think uh, that, that was some of the contributions that I wanted to make of just some real practical steps uh, to get to that place where you feel empowered and free, not stuck and, and confused. Great, great. Clarence? Yeah, it's so great to be talking about this conversation. Um, my own history in this is simply being born with brown skin and getting to the bus stop and realizing that there's a distinction going on here and having my father counsel us as we were whining and crying to a man who grew up in Jackson, Tennessee and had to go into the theaters in the back room we come back complaining about being called the N-word and his answer and his response was simply, son, who do you, do you know who you are? Mm-hmm. And um, that has carried me uh, up to this moment. And I feel like this is also a moment to say to the church, church, do you know who you are? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is our opportunity to not take on left wing language or right wing language with the language of the body. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the part uh, I did. Uh, a lot of the piece on reality of the gospel. And I mean, I, just, I love this. I really, really love this because Jesus has all the answers. Hey, does that sound like a familiar statement? But <laughs> goodness, it's just so true. Yeah. And there, there were moments, even as we were doing this work to see unity in the body of Christ, God's given us a lot of favor in different places. There's still these moments where you're like, man, this is hard work or an incident happens uh, that, that gets national attention and it can make you start thinking, is what I'm doing even working? But I've learned that Jesus addressed this situation and the more I understand that he addressed it directly, not as a side topic, the more clearly I get to see what he was going after so I don't get discouraged when I know here's some one-month wins, but these are some 10-year wins you're going after, so I know how to set my heart up right. So the more I dug into what Jesus taught, the more brilliant it was. I'm like, oh, my goodness, of course. He's the master movement leader. He, 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 he's awesome. So my part was simply to recognize that Jesus was born and he was raised in and uh, he did his ministry in a time uh, where there was a racial divide, right. the Jews versus the Samaritans. And not only did he have the most brilliant plan of attack uh, to deal with that situation, but we have proof that his plan worked. In his day, being called a Samaritan was a put down, and in our day, being called a Samaritan is a compliment. 
Jesus did that. He has the answers. And I think the church is just looking for practical handles. And that's the part that we tried to cover, that everybody can make a difference in this conversation in a powerful way. So uh, let me go off of that. You know, uh, uh, Vince, I know that we've just gone round and around of, okay, what do we do? Mm-hmm. You know, all that. And, 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 um, and rightfully so, mm-hmm. right? You just, you just keep working. I, I love what you just said, Francis, that, um, man, just because people aren't getting saved doesn't mean the gospel isn't still right. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so uh, this whole word of unity and being one and race and culture the, the message is always right, and uh, and we we've got to keep moving forward right. because it's a God message, not uh, a, a just a human message. But Vincent, you kind of landed on some stuff we call it. You're calling ERA, right. which I really love that. I think it's just a great handle. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so basically, ERA is just a little practical acronym that stands for educate, relate, and advocate. And all that's in our paper uh, yeah. in various types of languages. All the practitioners that are trying to do racial uh, reconciliation, trying to do social justice, trying to see unity in the body, we're all advocating the same language. Everybody's got different acronyms and different sure. wordings, but sure. the, the, the core is there's got to be a principle of education. Okay, so whenever you have different people trying to come together, whether it's different ethnicities, whether it's different political parties, whatever the differences are, the only way they can come together, they have to learn each other's language. They have to learn to study. When we go uh, internationally and plant churches, we go into an environment and we learn the culture. Right. We educate ourselves. This principle works in racial reconciliation. It works in marriage. It yes. works every, yes. everywhere. Different types of people are trying to have authentic relationships. There's got to be a learning. Uh, the natural tendency is we want to feel heard. We want to tell our story. We want to... Uh, uh, convince someone else, but really we have to learn others. It gives compassion, it gives mm-hmm. empathy. What that does is it causes walls to go down in people's hearts. Mm-hmm. So once people feel understood, feel like we've learned them, now their hearts open so where we can have dialogue and authentic relationship. Mm-hmm. From that education piece, then we go to relationship. We've got to be together. These incidents that we hear about, many times they come from some type of misunderstanding, judgments about each other, which leads to conflict, which leads to violence. But basically the core is people don't know each other. People have not related to each other. People have not spent time together. That's why in our church, we don't want it to be multiracial where different races sit in an auditorium together. We're wanting authentic relationships, people in homes together, people sharing meals together, people living life together, people taking vacations together, all these things that cause people to really know Okay. And so when people know other people, now there's heart connection and now you can work through conflict. Now you can have real uh, kingdom values moving forward, that kind of thing. So relationship, then advocate. So uh, what I try to tell our people here at Anak Waco is, yes, we admire uh, the great leaders such as the Martin Kings, but most of us are not going to be him. Right. You know, pretty much most of us aren't going to have that level of impact. So we use this language. We're not trying to change the world. We're just trying to change our world. So we challenge every person, if you get in your sphere of influence, your set of relationships, then have an impact there. There's some level of injustice happening everywhere. So maybe we can't change uh, the laws that affect, you know, unarmed citizens getting shot. Okay, maybe we're not in that sphere. But we live in a family of people, and we live around people who probably make inappropriate comments about people. 
And so we can be that person just to raise the conversation. We can be the person to take the courage. So we change that world. Mm -hmm. Okay. A businessman can have all of one type of group of people in his business. And he'd say, Hey, my business is actually going to be more profitable if I bring in different groups and different giftings. And so that person can impact their world. Right. I, I love that the professional athletes put their names on petitions because they have a public platform. So they impact their world. So if we all impact our world, then the world gets changed. Yeah, so advocating awesome. is something that everybody can do and is realistic mm -hmm. and can be accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I was saying, just as he's saying, what I love about that is uh, everybody can do something. You know, you kind of have this overwhelming deal and then everybody has an opinion, which many of them are good and they're, and it's needed. But then, golly, what do I do today? How do I love my neighbor? I got to have a, something to love my neighbor with while I'm working out the bigger conversation that is also very needful to have the right people in that communication. So, Clarence, kind of what's your bread and butter that you tell? What's your ERA? What do you tell us all that's kind of the go-to? Oh, yeah. So, this, the power of one believer is just amazing. Um, I jump, I'll jump right off of what Vincent was saying about affecting those in your world. So one of the first thing we say is let's imitate Jesus. Jesus in John 17, 20 through 23, prayed for us to be one three times. In the third mention, he says that we would be perfectly one. So this was on his heart and prayer is an expression of what we desire. So one of the first steps is that you have to want to be one. A lot of times when we address uh, racial issues that flare up and now we can't ignore them because they're affecting our church or our business, we do it out of obligation versus partnering with the heart of God and saying, God, what's on your heart? And let me imitate that heart myself. So one of the first things we challenge people to do, to do is making uh, the prayer for oneness your personal prayer. Then you move into simply doing the things that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. And he says, look, if you only greet your own brothers, what are you doing more than the Gentiles? And when you understand that he was dealing with a context of Jews who were raised to ignore Samaritans, despise Samaritans, look down on them, um, then you recognize that when he's saying greet people outside of your brethren, he's going directly against the culture that he was raised in. So just uh, doing some of that Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, where, where Paul is begging us to be uh, renewed in our minds, you know, to not be conformed to this world. And it, it is very sad to me to even look back over America's history and see that the church gave so much strength to the world to not love their neighbors, to not see blacks and others in the image of God. But if we would have just obeyed the scriptures, we could have made a difference. And so I say just the smallest obedience to the word of God makes a huge difference. Because if we see uh, a big deal on the news, sometimes we see ourselves too small. And we're like, I can't reach that. Right. But man, did you, did, you know, did you know that if you smiled at someone at the gas station that you typically ignore, it impacts them. It affects them. To this day, I remember being invited uh, to a family's, a white family's home for Thanksgiving when I moved to Oklahoma City. And I remember thoughts running through my head like, 
they do realize I'm black, right? I'm, I'm just, why are you inviting me into your home space? And so inviting people to the dinner table, greeting those that don't look like you, to me, if any community of believers begins to do these things, they'll shine like a bright light and they'll make a difference like Jesus called us to. Yeah, wow. So, um, Chris, I know, you know, you just shared your own journey. You've been uh, in a minority in African-American church. You've been a minority in the Latino uh, Hispanic community. And um, so give us, if somebody just, man on the street asks you, hey, what's your What's your one, two, threes here? Just, just give it to us in the in the short version. Well, I mean, I'll say if, if it was a white Christian brother or sisters asking, what's the one, two, three? Yeah, That's engaged in that, and um, I, I I would I would just say, uh, don't make it more complicated. Just understand that it is just like every other call of obedience, which is it's going to take courage and faith, and you're going to fail but then God is going to restore you and you're going to learn from that. I think sometimes, especially for white brothers and sisters, when it comes to this area of race, we feel like we're supposed to have it all figured out. And if we don't, then we're going to get slammed and you know, we're going to feel horrible. Right. I always joke, you can, you can call a white Christian uh, and accuse them of a lot of things. But if you say like something about race, that's wrong. It's like, no, don't call me that. But in the way that we think about evangelism and the way that we think about dealing with addictive behaviors, it's about, being intentional, being courageous, putting ourselves in a place where we need Jesus to show up and being willing to have the conversations and, and get out of our comfort, right? And just recognizing that if, if, if we're just trying to stay safe with this, then we're never going to be any different than the Gentile, that it really is about uh, putting ourselves in places where, okay, I haven't been in this kind of conversation before, or I haven't been in this kind of situation, right? And what do I do? And, and then, and then I just say, just be humble and ask a lot of questions, um, you know, and uh, I, you know, I've been in, I've been in all kinds of conversations and I've messed up and I've gotten issues raised. And, you know, when I'm my younger days, I would be so defensive. I'm not this, I, I didn't mean this. And, but now I've just realized, you know, the grace of Jesus, I just respond, you know what? I, I, I want to hear this out. Help me grow. Uh, help me grow. My heart is for you. I want a relationship, but I want to learn how to do this well. And, I found with those that, again, just making it the way we see any other growth area, I think is to me the practical one, two, threes of actually, you know, building some, some real uh, strong communities of unity in our churches. Yeah. So uh, again, uh, as I told the guys earlier, you know, this is a three day, three month conversation because each of these guys are a treasure trove, literally of the grace of God and, life and experience. Um, but, you know, I, and I want to say this to the, the, the Antioch movement, because a lot of that's who's going to be listening to this. And, you know, we came from a white background. Laura and I are very uh, white culture people. And, um, and uh, that's been our experience. That's the majority of the movement. That's the majority of our pastors and leaders. But I, I just want to say that from all of us, uh, from uh, that that's not God's uh, desire for us, nor is it God's plan for us. And I uh, personally um, would say that the, the, the lacking uh, element is not heart. The lacking element is not 
desire or even theological from my perspective, it's intentionality. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, it's, I, uh, if we wouldn't have lived in this neighborhood for 10 years, I wouldn't have gotten to know the Hispanic culture actually at the depth that I did because of the Mata family next door. Uh, I wouldn't have known it unless I had lived in it. Uh, and so that bit of intentionality helped us, but I can say, uh, with, with, uh, all, uh, authenticity that I have to keep being intentional because mm -hmm. all of my history is predominantly with white people, white friends, white neighbor, whatever. And if I'm not, if I don't think it's on the top of the list, like if I don't wake up every week or day and say, Spirit of the living God, I know that you've called me to be a multicultural man among a multicultural people, then I don't tend to take the intentional moves that are needful in order to get there. But for me to get there, I got to believe that I need it. it. You know, it's just, we're just, we're just all humans who respond out of, and, and I guess what I want us all to hear today in this little conversation is because of John 17, because of the heart of God, because of the heart of Jesus, we not only need it, uh, we, uh, we not only um, are made for it, but we do need it. We, we absolutely need to be a multicultural people for the glory of God and for our own sake. I am less of a man if I'm monocultural than if I'm multicultural. Um, and as long as I'm rambling, and uh, I'm just going to keep going here, is that we, they often talk about uh, missionary kids are, who do not become bitter are some of the most successful people in the world. And the reason is they intuitively know how to adapt and to address multitudes of cultural situations, understand perspectives, listen, and adapt. So, so this is the interesting thing. Kids who grew up in another culture, a third culture kid, they call them, who come back to the States, uh, if they do not become bitter, that's a key word, if they do not become bitter of their own background, their own challenges with all that, if they see that as a gift, they are the CEOs of some of the largest co companies in America. They're some of the most creative, dynamic individuals because they were better because of their multiculturalism uh, instead of bitter. And, and my, 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 my belief is that for Antioch to go to the next place in our call before God to reach the nations, to be a multicultural people, we're going to have to take intentionality to the next level uh, in order to, I am going to need to take intentionality to the next level. Um, because it's for me, this paper allows us to theologically say, no question, I'm, I'm not only signing off for this, I'm signing up for it, right? <laughs> so mm -hmm. we are set. We got our theological center, have to. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't then move the needle unless I take that theology into intentionality. Yeah. So let me pause there, my own little preach. Uh, anybody want to weigh in on that? Help me out uh, in my journey. Well, the two white guys raised their hands. <laughs> 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 Jamie, go ahead. You can be up next. Well, I just I, I think there is some vision stuff, and and I think that it it th there is a theological. Uh, you know, we, we can think we're there, but I, I think there's some going back to the Bible again and really looking at, um, I, you know, I, and it's not just this issue. It's justice issues. It's, it's 
when we have a, a framework that we believe and we're going to heaven and it leaves out so much of the living of life right now that God really wants his kingdom. We're living in this in-between space where he really does want his kingdom. It's, it's here, but it's not fully here. And he wants us to live into that. This is up at the top of the list, but it, I mean, there's, when we, when we cross that, there's a vision there that really does impact. It does create boundaries on how we live. And, and we talked about this 20 years ago, Jimmy, but, but we're living out of the values that we hold most dear. And this is a, this is a love at the core issue of people. And I, I, I just want to, I'm, and I'm still very much in process, but I, it is yes. impacting me. Chris. I was just going to exclamation point what you were saying in terms of how intentional we need to be in order to go to the next level. This is, and just say that this is such a spiritual warfare. I mean, we need such the spirit of Jesus. When you look at, well, just look at Pentecost, right? This is the greatest day after the resurrection and crucifixion. God could have manifested the, the spirit coming on common people in so many ways, right? But he chose to reverse the curse of Babel. And, and all the language is being understood. And you look at Ephesians and how uh, that spiritual armor ending is coming right after all this teaching on unity and looking at all the different kinds of division in society, race and, and, and economics, slave master and children and parents, right? And, and husband wives, it's like, this is what, you know, I've, I've learned all these years teaching. Uh, there's two subjects. If I'm asked to teach on different churches and I've taught in so many different places, Christian schools, the two topics that I'm going to experience the most spiritual attacks and issues is money and, and racial uh, reconciliation. And I think, I mean, you know, Acts, right, it, it, Acts has those uh, summary statements, you know, that the church exploded. Well, there's like six of them. Well, four out of the six, they come right after some sort of unity effort happened. So the, the, the devil is all over this. And so the church has got to be all over it with calling down the spirit of Jesus. Because if we if we're not intentional, if we're not going after the spirit of Jesus, this is, it's just not, we're not going to grow. Right. And so, yeah, just, just, just want to bring that in there. That's right. awesome. That's preacher. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, so uh, Vincent and Clarence, I'm going to give you the last word. So you can kind of take all these thoughts, but um, we, we talked a little bit just the other day about causing, getting a prayer movement going around it because of spiritual warfare. Give, give, give me some thoughts about that. Anything else you want to respond to? Sure. Yeah. I, I just want to echo the, the previous comment. Uh, I, I agree too with the intentionality. Uh, also, I just want to admonish us. It's way harder than we think. Though. Yes. It's, yes. it's going to take a lot more work and it has to be talked about a lot more uh, specifically to, to create the unity, specifically with the other culture, specifically the African-American culture. Right. Uh, because of the historical injustice and the legitimacy of that and the constant of uh, the term that's used is the microaggressions. We're not seeing, uh, you know, you hear about these cases in the media, but the day to day, most people aren't experiencing that. They're experiencing these smaller insensitivities and injustices and, and poor treatment that is compounded. And so there's a huge trust gap that has to be a bridge there between white brothers and African American brothers, Hispanic American brothers. Uh, and so it takes a lot more talking. It's so much harder uh, than, uh, you know, I said it when I came in, like in 2005, you know, but I thought I was talking to y'all and I was talking to myself. I said, it's probably gonna be harder than we think it is. And I'm kind of like, wow, 
I was really prophesying <laughs> to myself. Lord. It takes a lot of talking and sure. a lot of struggling and a lot of staying with this thing, staying the course. And so I just want to put that out there. Don't get discouraged if it's hard. Uh, don't get discouraged. Uh, I have a lot of white brothers that reach out across the line and then they're just like that further is skeptical. Just like Clarence was skeptical when that family invited, that's typically going to be the first response we get. But we have to stay the course. So, uh, but back to your your question, uh, kind of like Chris was saying, there is so much warfare around this issue, and so I've been asking the Lord. I feel like the Lord has called me to say, "Hey, raise up kind of the upper room model, 120 intercessors mm -hmm. praying into this." And so I had a conference similar to this with with uh, a, a grouping of people of color here at Antioch, and I pitched this vision, like, "Hey, I think we need to really." Uh, invest intentionally in the spiritual warfare mm -hmm. of this issue. And and so I kind of gave them the vision that, hey, uh, yes, we need our white brothers to step up. Uh, I think because Western culture is predominantly white, white brothers right. need to carry the burden of this. But we also need to feel like we have power to impact this. And this is definitely one of those places, all of us, you know, really praying. And so we're in the process of putting that piece together, uh, but to, to significantly pray and pray scripturally into this yes. issue. So not awesome. just praying about political opinions about all this, but what does Jesus say? Let's pray John 17, let's pray Ephesians 2, let's pray 2 Corinthians 5. Mm -hmm. Reason 101 that I love this man. <laughs> you know, hey, calling and saying, let's pull it together in the spirit realm, because uh, if you don't have that, we have no power to pull off the miracle right. that we're all believing for. All right, Clarence, you get to back clean up, buddy. Just tell us what to do from here. Yeah, it's so easy coming after Vincent because he's speaking the truth. Actually, one of our strategies for city transformation is to plant unified prayer. And um, just today, you know, we had a group called City Prayer in Oklahoma City. And of course, I'm in Norman now, and which is about 20 minutes south of OKC and where uh, the University of Oklahoma is. And we just transferred the leadership over to a, a new group to take that on as we shift and focus on planting unified prayer here in Norman and in hopes to also start unified prayer on the campus by gathering together um, the campus leaders, faculty, staff, et cetera, who want to see God move. And the, and the, and the thing about it is uh, some people know that at OU uh, peculiar, in a peculiar way, there's been some racial incidents uh, that have gained uh, national attention and I believe that we're in an opportune time for the church to shine. You know, these racial incidents that get caught on videos and cell phone cameras uh, back in 2014 and 2015, 2016, uh, man, how awesome would it have been for the world to have to say, all right, let's go on over to the church because we know they've got this down. They, they, they have authentic relationship they hang out together, the kids are playing together, and it seems seamless. This has to be supernatural. That was our opportunity, but I don't think the door is closed. And there's a term called the minority majority, and that's the day when there'll be more minorities, people of color, in the United States of America than whites. Now, um, with 18 and under, that's already true, but it's about 2044 when that'll be true. The dangerous side of that is, um, even if you look at Egypt, the, minute, the, the reason Pharaoh got intimidated was because the Jews began to outnumber them. 
So there's a negative to that. So I think we're in a window of opportunity for the church to rise to what Jesus really said in the scriptures and really acknowledge that the church failed the truth in the past, but we don't have to focus on the past. Let's show what the Bible really said about this thing and let's have some fun doing it. Let's celebrate together. Let's build tables together. And I would just throw this in that one thing that we've learned uh, from when we first kind of just sold it all and jumped out there going after this city transformation dream. One of the first teams we put together that was actually addressing the divorce rate in the city. Um, when we got the team together, unity was the issue. I walked in and I had this feeling and I had like a vision of bricks stacked up without mortar. And so I told the team, I said, y'all, we've talked about what's on the father's heart for this city. I said, but I can't do this unless we're really brothers, if, unless we're really the church, loving one another, caring for one another, because a lot of times leaders will just want one another for what the other person can give, wow. and uh, no one cares for them, and they, they burn out, and it causes more damage. So I would say this, let's go after tables of unity, authentic relationship. And what we learned was if we will have authentic unity amongst maybe even 12, 5, 10, 12, that if it's holy and rich in the seed, it will manifest in the branches. So the principles of Jesus are get the 12, get the 12, and you can take the city. Those who have turned the world upside down were two folks. And um, we've got way more than two in all of our cities across the country. I believe the prophetic word is even pointing towards our movement. I think it's just a set time for the vision. That's not a new vision over uh, the Antioch movement. It's just a set time to see it unfold in a new way. The same mission principles we use to love on the nations of the world, let's turn it back to America and redefine, oh, wait a minute, blacks are a people group. Wait a minute, Hispanics are another people group. Let's not force everybody to be like the majority group. Let's learn one another, walk in love. And I think God will pour out his spirit on us like we just can't imagine and bless us to even walk with the other churches of the city in this process. So, yay, God, go, God. God, amen. Hey, uh, to close our time, bro, just pray that. Pray that into us, everybody listening, and, uh, and that'll close us for today. Father, we thank you. You're so faithful to us. Um, what an honor to be able to partner with those who love you. Uh, what an honor to be in a moment for such a time as this. And we really genuinely believe that you've revealed your heart to us. We believe, Lord, that you're with us because of ourselves we can do nothing. But truly, if your voice is spoken, if this is your thought and this is your time, then that means that old walls, God, we can conquer them and old issues, we can go beyond them. And the political narratives, we can beat them. So we declare and decree that the old is done and that a new day has come. We declare and decree that there will be change and transformation and, and multi-ethnic, multicultural gatherings of the church of the cities yes, to bring forth your will and your thought. We declare and decree that we will have great power to love those who are weak, broken, and put out of the way, God, by the power of sin death and hell but god through your church you will bring great glory on us in this time of gross darkness so we receive it we set our expectations up that this next fall will not be normal for any of us and we even soberly say god we put skin in the game 
for our own personal lives, our own worlds, and we trust you for the results. So we thank you, God, for hearing our prayers. Yes, In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you guys. Amen. Thank you guys for the time hanging out together. And again, uh, at the end of this podcast, we'll have some way for you to get a hold of Race and the Glory of God. It's a position paper that we put out. Uh, it doesn't, it is only a centerpiece for us to now go and be the people of God. We love you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Passion and Purpose, a podcast with Jimmy Seibert and the Antioch Movement. For more information, please visit jimmycybert.com and antioch.org. We'll see you next time.